Snatter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA1977 on Twitter. Nimmer Snatter, just talking to teachers. Hello and welcome to this week's Nailers Natter, and this week's uh, edition is recorded on Tuesday the 17th of March, so with the current events moving on a daily basis, please bear that in mind when you're listening to this podcast, whenever that may be. So, uh, this podcast interview was recorded a couple of weeks ago when things were obviously quite different. So since then, Research Ed Blackpool has been cancelled, but the interview with today's guest is still very much worth hearing. So the interviewing question is with the inimitable Tom Sherrington. And Tom uh, is unique in making his second appearance in this podcast, discussing his and Oliver Caviglioli's new book from John Cat Educational entitled Walkthroughs. So you may have heard from last week's show, I'm a little bit of a fan. So in this week's Nailers Natter, we also try to be as pragmatic and positive as we always are. Uh, And the reality is that now we have much more time at home. Uh, Alongside our main interview, as usual, we are going to do have the usual podcast pedagogy. Um, So in this week, we are looking at The Teaching Delusion in Books by Bruce Robertson. And Bruce will be joining us to talk a little bit about that book. We also review our usual films, but uh, this week we're going to look more at classic films that can be accessed via your streaming service from home. So a film signposted to me from my head teacher was Coach Carter, and I rediscovered this classic over the weekend, and I'll be briefly reviewing that as well. In music, I've gone for a new record uh, that has again been the soundtrack to a busy marking week of mock exams. So while I've been marking the 60-plus exam papers, uh, yes, listeners, that's a deputy head teacher who's actually teaching and marking exam papers too, biology, physics, and chemistry. And the album in question that's been soundtracking the busy week is 16 Oceans by Four Tet. So without further ado, over to my interview with Tom Sherrington, and let's start talking to teachers. Nailers, Natter, just talking to teachers. Teacher Development Trust Section, learning from the team at TDT on best practice CPD with research. Nailers, Natter, just talking to teachers. Okay, so hello Tom, and welcome back to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me back. It's a, it's a pleasure to be talking to you again. Absolutely. And uh, really excited to talk about the book for tonight. So we're talking about teaching walkthroughs uh, with the five-step guides to instructional coaching. Um, I'm not going to do the gentle introductory question, Tom, for a couple of reasons. One, because most people know all about you, you know, through your books and your presentations and your work and your your blogs and everything else. And obviously, you know, there's a previous podcast that they can go back and listen to um, to refresh your memory. So we're going to go straight into questions, if that's Okay. Okay, yeah. So the first question is, um, it's a big general opening question, so what were the reasons um, for the walkthroughs book? Well, I think Oliver and I uh, both felt that we had um, uh, kind of ideas which which needed, which which would benefit from working to each other. And I think uh, Oliver had the idea of walkthroughs being a strong concept to support instructional coaching. And we discussed it a little bit and talked about how it might work. And uh, we came up with this idea of, of breaking things down into five steps. And then very quickly realized when we talk about it, that we just thought, well, this would just be, you know, we just thought, wow, people will really love this because Oliver's designs are very um, engaging and um, people just, you know, are drawn to read things because his diagrams and his illustrations are so fantastic. And then, you know, the, the kind of the, the Rosenshine book, which I wrote, had sort of shown, which I wrote, showed that people like stuff to be punchy to the point, you know, thin. <laughs> we thought, this, let's pull these things together. And the walkthroughs are just a, like, allow us both to do that, our, our bit really, you know, to express ourselves a bit. So I really enjoyed the writing process, the five steps, and he really enjoyed doing the diagrams. And we, we just feel there's a real audience for this, that people, having something high quality to use as a, as a tool for their CPD, which we can get to into as many schools as possible, which is something which people would want and, uh, and we'd enjoy making. So we did, and it's uh, already proven to be, there's a lot of anticipation for it, which we're excited about. 
Yeah, that absolutely is. So a couple of things there, just to echo your thoughts on Oliver's illustrations. And obviously here, we're very fortunate that he was kind enough, just, you know, of his own goodwill to design the logo for Hoven Hale as Natter Podcast. So again, thank you, Oliver, for that. And the second thing about the, the anticipation, I mean, I've, I felt a little bit like, and this is going to age me, this reference now, Tom, but I feel a little bit like Kenny Everett um, when he had Bohemian Rhapsody in a student, he wasn't supposed to play it. And he kept accidentally playing it over and over again and, uh, you know, six times in the same show. I've had this book and I've been leading CPD this week and I've been in conversations around behaviour, curriculum planning, modelling, question feedback, those kind of areas. And it's all like all I can do not to show the book as obviously as we speak, it's not quite out yet. So there's a massive sense of anticipation from from me personally and uh, I'm sure much wider than that. So, yeah, let's get into the book then. So let's go and, and, and... open up and let's look at uh, the first areas so i mentioned a few things there what areas have you covered in the walkthrough series well the book the book is structured again this is you know heavily influenced by oliver's design um and navigation sense he's always he's big into sort of it should be easy to find your way around and so we've divided the book into three broad sections a why section a what section and a how section and and the what the why section is really so why why walkthroughs, why instructional coaching, and we've got some overviews of some of the underpinning research around teaching. So there's actually a, a Rose and Shine's principles, which spreads over two walkthroughs. And then we've got um, uh, uh, An Ethic of Excellence by Ron Berg, we've covered in there, and we've covered um, Dylan Williams' five strategies for formative assessment in there, and so on. So, because uh, we want people to see that as part of the book. And then, and then we've got uh, a how section at the end is really about how you use it. But the main kind of content, I guess, is behaving relationships, curriculum planning, explaining and modeling, questioning and feedback, practice and retrieval. And then the final section is this mode B teaching, which comes from my Learning Rainforest book, where we wanted to make we wanted it to be as broad and comprehensive as possible. So you've got things in there to do with oracy and collaborative learning. And, and over time, all six of the core sections will have more. So we're already planning volumes two and three. This is just the first wave. Uh, and we're, we're, we'll probably end up having upwards of 100, 150 maybe walkthroughs uh, in, the, in the final collection when it's all finished. Fantastic. So let's go into each of those uh, sections and we'll go into my current favourites as we were chatting about off air. So in terms of the day to day role for me is around behaviour at the moment and, you know, the importance yeah. of teaching behaviour and modelling behaviour um, you know, for staff yeah. as well as pupils. So um, how important are routines and how do the walkthroughs and Oliver's work help in this area? Well, obviously, routines are, are essential you know this is how we create uh, order but also it's a calmness you know if everyone needs to know where they stand and you know what what happens when things go wrong and, and just how where, where the boundaries are set and establishing routines is well established as a pretty uncontroversial really it's a, a well-established feature of nearly any good behavior management system is that students know what to do in different situations so the walkthroughs include how to establish your expectations, a couple of strategies around gain, gaining intention, positive framing, and, and literally the whole thing of ha- rehearsing routines, so setting out a routine, rehearsing it. And we feel that the five steps approach there is quite practical. You know, you look at that and you're the, the whole thing is, you know, do you do it like this? It's a reference. It's not like a set of rules to follow. It's like a, a suggested five-step approach for people to reflect on and say, you know, this is how we do it, this is how that's suggested, and, and then kind of explore what they actually really do and whether they could tweak their practice. And that's what we, that's what we think. I mean, and, and what the idea is that you'd sit down with somebody or you just reflect on it yourself and say, how well do I do this compared with what's suggested here? And then go into the classroom and maybe practice it a little bit more, adapt it. We could talk about the adapt concept later, but that's a big feature of all the walkthroughs. It says it underneath each, thing, each one, adapt because we're, we're keen that teachers take the ideas, adapt them, and test them, and um, make them their own. That's, that's key. So, but behavior and relationships, are re- you know, re- rehearsing routines is just one of the elements that we've suggested that people think about in that. Mm-hmm. And just one, again, from something that, that we're working on at the moment in terms of you've got, so you've got signal, pause, and insist. 
um, yeah. which I really liked because we've trialled a sort of rather than a a raised voice for quiet, we've gone for a raised hand for quiet, which you know yeah. everybody buys into. So I really like the way that that's been broken down, and obviously you know Oliver's graphics with that as well. So choose a signal, rehearse a signal, give the signal, pause, insist, and it's just really simple step by step. But it's it's the way it's illustrated yeah. is really good for those you know limited opportunities that you might have with. You're know, working with initial teacher training, new teachers, or even experienced teachers, just as, as a collective group in inset, it's really, really yeah. clear on how you can go about doing this. And this idea of rehearsal and instructional coaching really interests me as well. Well, I think one of the, one of the, this is all supported in the in the theory and documentation that, that Oliver has written about in the in the introduction, which is um, the nature of the diagrams is deliberately um, context free. So there's no there's no busy background. There's no, um, you can't really see furniture or, um, you, you can imagine this teacher in any situation. That's our goal. So is it your, basically we're trying to say this teacher could be you in your classroom. And then, and then you try to sort of be filling the, the details around that to be yours. And it could be any subject. So we, we really want people to take this and think it could be me. And then the idea is that the header, so I mean, if we get very, uh, you know, very uh, detailed about this, the, the the title of each step, we tried to make that almost like if you read nothing else and you just read the title of the five steps, it kind of uh, walks you through the main ideas. But then underneath it is, you know, more discussion. So it's, it depends how busy people are and how quickly they'll skim through it. And then the visuals again are. You have to look at them to really get the meaning, and that makes you stop and think. That's the whole point. The visual draws you in and think, okay, what's going on here? It, it's not just supposed to be a kind of idiot's guide to X. It's, it's a, a cue for your thinking always, and, and that's the way that you think about your own practice. It's a reflection tool, not a, a kind of how to build a wardrobe type set of instructions. It's more of a, a tool for thinking about your own environment, and we, everything that we've done is focused on that. No, and it's a, it's a great chapter. Um, moving into the curriculum area now, is curriculum such a big area to to kind of distill yeah. down into these? But what what I like about this is that you've said this is useful. This this chapter to use along, you know, maybe in a curriculum review process and the planning stages of any new unit of work. So, how yeah. do how do you walk through designing a knowledge rich curriculum and sequencing concepts into small steps, for example? What get, this is, we, we felt that we, we discussed whether to have this in at all, but because it, this, these aren't behavioural, whereas most of the others are. So these aren't things that you will do routinely and form habits around. But we thought we can't really do a book about teaching without um, uh, an element of curriculum thinking. So uh, these are slightly different to the other walkthroughs in the sense that they're not um, things you, 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 know, like you, you enact um, every day. But what might we we're thinking is, let's say you are going to design a curriculum, you might get this out and say, well, you know, if you look at the five steps for design a knowledge-rich curriculum, it says, you know, it's basically a sensible flow through it. So talking about what is, it basically defines what a knowledge-rich curriculum means, specifying the knowledge in detail, sequence and map the knowledge, um, and, and, and you're talking about it being to be remembered. So it's, it's like a definition in a way, and it feeds into the next one, which sequence concept sequence concepts and small steps and that makes you think well do, do i do that have i identified the prerequisite knowledge for this unit have i identified the most basic steps first have i actually thought through what the steps in the sequence are uh, and so on it, it just it's a prompt for thinking for and if you're working with colleagues it would be a essentially stimulate a series of questions and 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 walk you through it of course though you know the most obvious thing to say about it is it's it's totally generic and obviously curriculum design is inherently subject specific so we're very aware of that and, and it is deliberately abstract in that sense that it's trying to prompt discussion but it wouldn't make any sense unless you were then talking about what it meant for maths or music or or english and um we're just using that as a as a stimulus so we're, and, we're, and we're aware of that probably in the second volume there'll be fewer curriculum walkthroughs and more behaviour management walkthroughs, that sort of thing. So we, we we just thought we'd put that set in the first issue so that it's it's got the sense of completeness. I think it's really useful, though. I mean, this, again, is a personal reflection, and obviously, you know, other people may differ, but sometimes when you sit down and try to plan a curriculum, 
You tend to look yeah. at lessons as distinct units and try to put detail in first. Whereas, you know, I think that you, yeah. you've had you've highlighted like deliver core signpost hinterland. Uh, you know, establish the, the core of what knowledge needs to be taught. But the, the graphics again really support the idea of kind of yeah. you know, zooming out to look rather than going straight for the details of the subject. Look wider than that. I think you know it, it's quite easy to look at. It's quite nice to have you know yeah. in a department meeting on a board, and it will generate discussions. Like you said, I think it's a really useful piece of work. Well, I'm really mad because I, I think you know for for people who've not done it before or who haven't gone to loads of conferences, I haven't had time to read all the books. It's probably the shortest guide to curriculum thinking that you could probably you could find, and it's just uh, Oliver really uh, enjoyed doing the curriculum sequence because he kept on saying, "Oh my God, it's so abstract! How do I capture this? How do I capture that?" So he he some of the images are quite amusing, really, the way he sort of tried to capture. Like he's got his helicopter over the mountainsides, you know. We're mapping the, the terrain of a, of a difficult topic, and and it's just they're, they're abstract and conceptual, which are, which is really interesting. So they're, they're absolutely not sort of um, functional in that way. They're definitely about big picture thinking, conceptual awareness raising, and we do we do want people to think hard about their curriculum. You're right. So it has it's it's genericism in this case is quite powerful. Because if it was a maths planning one, you'd be straight into topic names and stuff like that. And um, this doesn't have that. So uh, yeah, we, we we like it, but it is. I, I think I'm just highlighting the fact that it's it has a different feel to the other walkthrough sections. Mm-hmm. But again, I mean, people will, you know, sometimes it's quite intimidating, isn't it, to, you know, particularly be new to a role or new to an area and, and then just sit down and, well, design a curriculum. And, you know, lots of people are yeah. relying on lots of, you know, external experts, which is great as well. But this is quite a nice, you know, kind of mix between the two. You're getting the external expertise, but you're getting it presented in a way that can help you practically on the ground, day to day, you know, in your phase yeah. meetings or faculty meetings. It's really, really useful. Yeah, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. He's, I'm delighted that you think that. It's like anything that like you're, you know, you're one of a small number of people that have seen the book already, and so far we've had nice feedback from people. Um, but it's it, this is the moment when you write something, we think, gosh, okay, it's about to hit the world. And uh, having spent all the hours making it, we, we just really, it's really exciting waiting for people to 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 get hold of it and tell us what they think of it and what what they're doing with it. Well, I think this, this, I mean, obviously I love all the sections, but I think the curriculum section is going to be really, really useful for people. Oh, glad. Well, I'm not on some thrilled to hear you say that. Okay, so moving into the next section. So obviously a lot of your work is really evidence-based, uh, research-based. So if you just tell listeners a little bit about how you and Oliver have drawn on the work of Willingham, William, Berger, uh, Shimamora, if I pronounced that correctly, yeah. uh, in yeah. the explanation and modelling section. So tell us a little bit about how you've drawn on their work in that section. Well, uh, we we you know we we feel that all those people's ideas um, blend together to some extent, and you know Dan Whittingham's ideas are to do with uh, recall and 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 um, memory being the residue of thought, so it's important, and we 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 draw on that. Shimamura has this fantastic um, Marge model, which we have profiled in the book. And I'm a big fan of that, and I, I refer to that a lot. And in general, it's sort of cognitive load theory ideas, you know, with, you know worked examples uh, which, which come through. So in, in a way, I mean, the, the, those four papers, which are just, we, we're going to do other papers in the subsequent volumes, but they, they, those are the ones we just thought, well, we'll profile those because they deal with quite a lot of the walkthrough concepts throughout the book. Um, the explaining and modeling section... I mean, really, I mean, it goes slightly beyond uh, the, the work of those people because it includes things like um, vocab development, rehearsal of knowledge. We've, we've tried to, we've, we've tried to um, make it as practical as possible with things like how do you get students to learn words? And so that's a simple recall thing. And I guess Willingham's ideas to do with retrieval practice come into that. Um, Dual coding. There's a whole section on how you use uh, a method which Oliver has called recount and recall, where you actually get students to actively form a kind of mind map which matches the one that the teacher has in a in a very deliberate way to map out the schema. And that links to Mark, to the Marge model which Shimura talks about. He talks about relate, how teachers can help students to 
understand uh, a web of information by forming relational models within it and organizing thoughts. So that, that, that approach does that. And, and I can I can keep talking through it, but there's there's another theme to do with metacognition, scaffolding. It is an important idea. I think Berger's work really more comes into uh, the, the the some of the other sections, uh, the feedback section, and uh, where we talk about um, redrafting and improvement and so on. So we do you know we do a sort of more more almost direct lift of his. Um, work a bit later on but they, throughout the walkthroughs those people's ideas are referenced not just in the explaining and modeling section yeah so we, we hit we hit on 10 and you know you, we, well, there, there are way more so there are 10 walkthroughs for explaining and modeling and i think when people read it they'll 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 think well which ones do i need to work on it could be scaffolding it could be live modeling metacognitive talk there's a thing to do with misconceptions. I mean, one of the things that Winningham discusses is, you know, when you don't understand something, it can be to do with a lack of prior knowledge or uh, an, an issue with part of your memory having a false schema for something, a, a dodgy model for an idea. So we talk a little bit about how you can teach conceptions head on by, um, by, by exploring the misconception and, and why people misunderstand things and that kind of thing. So, uh, it's quite a lot to catch when I'm just talking through it now, but uh, this is where the five steps come in. It, it, it just it's, it, it simplifies everything to some very precise sort of things to think about one by one, and and then hopefully it will make sense when people literally you know walk through it. No, it absolutely does, and, and just then to move it into the section that you referenced there uh, about feedback, and I got really excited when I read this one because. Um, although I'm deputy head now, I'm still teaching in the classroom. Um, <laughs> as you know, Tom, from being a head teacher, it's quite a challenge to do that and still do everything else as well. But I think it's important yeah. that, that you're in the classroom and teaching. So um, something that I get asked to work on or I try to work on year on year is my questioning. I am one of the worst people at questioning, which is ironic, isn't it, when I'm uh, actually presenting a podcast that's based on questions. But <laughs> yeah. I tend to think about the questions in the moment. I tend to uh, play guess what's in my head quite a lot. Um, finish this sentence off for me because I know what the answer is and hopefully you do too. So I was really, I, I couldn't wait to open this section on questioning and feedback. Um, so you've given us a suggested repertoire of effective questioning techniques, um, drawing on lots of different people's work, uh, including you know, um, previous guest Doug Lamov, and you've talked about cold calling, for example. So just talk us through yeah. some of those suggested repertoires for effective questioning techniques. And this is definitely going to be a poster that I'm going to, I'm going to get this out and I'm going to put this on my classroom wall because I'm privileged that I'm <laughs> teaching the same classroom all the time now. So I'm going to have this on to remind me that I need to use more of these. Well, all of these, I mean, this repertoire is one that I've felt I've, I've kind of collected personally and in my training with other people over the last few years. And then it's in my book, Rosenstein's um, Principles in Action, as I suggest this repertoire of seven types of questioning. And this has just got a few extra ones in it. So it's something which I felt as a, as a trainer and someone goes into watching a lesson a lot. These other things I just think I'd like to see more of and often are the things that I think teachers need to work on. So... As you said, cold calling is the number one, and we've kept the name of that really because it's already an established name. So, kind of, so they know hands up, no calling out strategy that Doug Lamoff described. So we, you know, we could call it something else, but we, we call it, keep the same name. And it, it's probably one of the most behavioural walkthroughs we have. You know, so it literally talks through it, ask the question, ask the class the question, give thinking time, expect someone to respond. It really talks through all of that and the rationale. So. And I really feel that's one of the main things that teachers need to work on to, to, to really include everyone in the questioning by making them all feel a part of the lesson flow. So that goal calling is, is super powerful. But then it goes into things like think pair share, you know, the, the need in structured short bursts to air your thoughts, to rehearse your thinking, to hear yourself explain things to a partner who is then also reflecting back to you what you said. So think pair share has a, a discipline and a um, an, an, an entity to it, which I think we're trying to get across. There are other whole class responses like show me boards. Um, I, we could, I, I, I think it's, it's a bit of a brand name, but I, I like that name so because it, it highlights what you do and then you get the students to show you their thinking. And, and a couple of other things you'll, see, you'll, you'll notice come straight from the Rosenstein's principle. So check for understanding. 
is that the core of that whole set of principles that, that teachers can't tell exactly what everyone's thinking unless you check and what you shouldn't do is say have you understood you say tell me what you've understood and the, crucially you have to be prepared to reteach things if students are not making sense of what you've explained to them so that, that's one of the things we stress that the decision to and it's in one of oliver's graphics decision is reteach it now defer to later or, or or move on and then you have to always have that that in your mind am i ready to move on I will come back to this later, or uh, do I have to go back and explain it now? And, and if you're not thinking that, maybe every time they ask a question, you, you, you end up with students sort of pretending they know stuff they don't. So there's lots of other ones, probing questions, process questions, that comes straight out of Rosenshine as well. So he says that most more effective teachers typically ask a lot more questions, but they also have this habit of saying, and how did you work it out? Why did you come up with that? And talk us through your thinking, sort of metacognitive language. And less effective teachers typically, he suggests, don't ask that question at all. So they just get correct answers and, and that's it. So process questions is huge. So I'm really hoping that this set of walkthroughs, when you look at all of them, will be really useful. Um, we've called it questioning and feedback, so we don't have endless topics. So there's, there's a few, a couple of walkthroughs to do with giving feedback, whole class feedback is one of them in there. So it's it's... I think possibly in the next walkthrough book there'll be more feedback examples and fewer questioning examples. But it's just we're trying to give a, a, a broad enough range of ideas in the first volume just to get people going, and and then there'll, there'll be more sort of niche ones later as we as we develop the concept. I mean, I can imagine this book not only being a book that teachers are going to read, but it's going to be it's going to be almost a reference book that teachers will carry around with them. So, I mean, I know that, you know, <laughs> well, I really think that when I be in classroom, yeah, it's, really a, well, yeah. it's a nice prompt to have to remind you to do yeah. the things that, because you know you should, and you do read all the yeah. research and you read all the books, but, but this is a very visual way of saying, right, even things like ensure every student has a board and pen to hand, you go through a few weeks or a few days of doing that and then... You lose a couple of pens, they go out the back of the classroom, you don't add to the box, and it doesn't happen again, and you revert to the, the kind of question yeah. that you tended to use before. So I think this is going to be very much a book that people are going to carry around, and like I said, I almost refer so. to you know all the way through. I really think so. Well, I mean, it, when we get carried away with ourselves, we have this sort of vision of like every teacher having a copy and you know, being available to any, any, any of them, at least, at least digitally, if, when that comes through. And because... Because it's, it's the format is so uh, you know appealing, but it's it's not as we keep saying. The two things we keep saying. One of them is it's only volume one, so this isn't supposed to be the definitive set. Uh, we, we, if there's other things missing, yeah, we know that, and there's going to be they'll come. And the second thing is it's not rigid, so the adapt strategy is really really important. So when when people get hold of the say PowerPoint slides, which we're going to provide um, as part of the when, when schools. Sort of join us they they'll be to rearrange them in any order and we're going to put, make these booklets of walkthrough pads which you can sort of sketch out different versions and you know make it very much something you adapt not something you just stick to absolutely because we do really want people to think about how it works in their classroom not follow it like it's a recipe which mustn't be deviated from that would be a that would be a, a mistake Okay, so I'm going to be slightly provocative with the next question. So I've uh, was going to retrieval practice and say, well, you know, retrieval practice. That's kind of uh, it's, it's so 2019, isn't it? Retrieval practice and knowledge organisers. <laughs> so it's just basically doing a quiz, isn't it? You know, retrieval practice. Yeah, I mean, well, I I, I find it's find that association, isn't it? Because um, I, I think retrieval practice starts with the student thinking, what do I know? And it's actually, if you're going to reduce retrieval practice to quizzing, at the very minimum, it ought to be self-quizzing, like, do I know it? Like asking yourself questions, not being asked questions by somebody else. But as you, as you will see when you look at the book, quizzing is one of 10 ways of uh, exploring your knowledge in our book. Um, so, yeah, quizzing is one form of checking your knowledge. Do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know this? But then like, what immediately follows from it is elaborative interrogation, which is much the opposite. It's almost starting with that simple idea and constantly spinning off it and asking yourself, why does that happen and how does that happen? And making your own little mental mind map of the, of the whole big picture. So 
you soon get the idea, I hope, when you read this, that retrieval practice has multiple variants and actually it's in the variety that the richness comes for a student within which quizzing is there. So quizzing has its place. I mean, I think, you know, checking your knowledge in a simple factual recall way has its, definitely has its place. But, you know, even that, you know, there's one of them is peer-supported retrieval, so getting students to quiz and probe each other is, 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 is useful. And then there's, there's things like, you know, concrete examples. It's the nature of the checking. So can you give an example of this? And can you, what's a general form of this? It's, it's, it's using these ideas that come from people like the learning scientists and as well as Dan Winningham and a whole host of other people to make checking them on this come alive. Yeah, so yeah, but we're, 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 we're keen to stress that quizzing belongs there amongst everything else. And uh, that would be, you know, we'd be looking to maybe make some other walkthroughs in the future where slightly more clever ideas for retrieval practice, um, like all these clever ones that Kate Jones has written in her, but they're amazing. And we might have some walkthroughs based on some of her ideas, for example. Definitely. I was just going to say that. And obviously listeners will know I was being deliberately provocative. And, you know, you mentioned Kate's yeah. book and I actually wrote, you know, a, a nice forward for uh, the book. So, you know, I'm a big fan of retrieval yeah. practice. That was just a deliberately provocative question because um, when I was at the research school, it was one of the things that, you know, we advocated quite a lot, but we, we used to get a lot of pushback, you know, well, I need to collect the marks in for this low stakes quiz, and we'd just be right. Yeah. Okay. You, you might need to know what a low stakes quiz is first before you start to think that. So that's I've been deliberately provocative about um, about retrieval yeah. practice, and you know, it's something that we definitely advocate. Well, one, need. well, I think it's worth doing because we need to really make, get this message across that you know, when one of our watchers is using a knowledge organizer, and like, what's it? What's the purpose of it? It, it has a function, provided that it's in a richer context and if you're going to use one, at least use it to actually build some recall from it, not just have it sort of looking at you, winking at you with facts on it that you don't know. And I think kids really, really thrive with a knowledge organizer system where they really do up- upskill their basic recall so that they can then use it for, you know, richer writing and so on. So it's all a, a, a part of the process. As soon as you start reducing things to, it's just quizzing, it's just a knowledge organizer, or then obviously you know, things start collapsing. And if you, if you make people make knowledge organizers without discussing why and how and how it fits into a wider frame of things, you get kind of these robotic responses. So we, I really hope that we're helping people to see every idea as part of a bigger thing. But of course, you know, we can't really, <laughs> we can't stop people sort of reducing things to the, the, the absurd kind of, simplistic view of things if that's the way they're going to do it but we're really trying our best to avoid that yeah definitely okay so what I like as well about uh, the books is that they kind of refer back to your previous works obviously you mentioned uh, Rosenchance Pintle's instructions the book that you, you came on to talk about last time but also you've talked and referenced back to the learning rainforest with your uh, mode A and mode B teaching so most yeah. readers of the well most listeners who've read uh, learning rainforest will be aware of this but um can you explain a little bit more about mode A and mode B? And from this book, how can teachers listening weave mode A and B teaching into a cohesive whole? Yeah, well, for, for, for me, I mean, right when I wrote The Learning Rainforest, I, 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 I was trying to come up with a, a simple language to describe the difference between, you know, teacher-led instruction where you are very much the, the, the expert relative to the students and you, 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 know, you hold attention and you lead from the front and do all the modelling. But whilst also acknowledging that there are some other things which I've had phenomenal um, experience with students being genuinely capable of leading learning in their own way. And I've seen some fantastic um, inquiry work, collaborative learning, um, and this idea of giving students a response where it's kind of up to them to decide exactly how they respond. Now, and, and then obviously, obviously speaking. So all of these things for me are part of a richer framework of teaching where over time, students will have all of these experiences woven together, even if most of it is teacher instruction, if the other things have a place. So a bit of a kind of cliched sort of balanced diet model. You know, you, know, you don't need tons of every element of your diet. You just need some of it, and it's, and it, but it really makes the rest of it all come together. So partly because with the Learning Rainforest response that I've had, the mode B, mode A thing, 
I don't know, it has captured some people's imagination. It has helped me, but I've had quite some, some quite good feedback from that. So I thought, well, rather than, again, make up some new term, let's just call it Mode B Teaching, and hopefully that will just gain some kind of traction with people, even if they've never read The Learning Rainforest, it will make sense. So we, we've included in there collaborative learning, so general principles to that. In other words, don't make it rubbish group work. <laughs> sort of, that's basically what that comes down to. Make it good group work. Um, and also we've got three uh, uh, things for you know, debating and uh, getting students to teach aspects of lessons. And we're, we're, we're definitely planning to expand that uh, range in future issues. So I've been talking to people about... Uh, so we weren't necessarily right, the more we're going to introduce aspects of you know reading and more expansive ideas to do with collaborative learning in there and so on. But always... Within the, within the context that most of the teaching will be teacher instruction, and this is just kind of the, 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 the broadening out that happens once students have got the knowledge to do things. And we're, we're, we need to keep that in perspective. Yeah, so I'm hoping that's, that's how people will see it. That there's, mostly it's about mode A teaching, instructional teaching, modeling, explaining, questioning, and then we have to weave in our other experiences for students so they have a really exciting um, school you know curriculum over time so just moving into the how section so listeners to the podcast will know that you know it, i was i'm constantly mentioning implementation and uh, you'll understand this tom as, as well as anybody so when i was um three days a week as a senior leader in school and two days running a research school in a tdt hub yeah i was an expert in implementation and i could i could wax lyrical about how you can impact <laughs> how you should stand back and think about the big picture and yeah. slowly and steadily implement things fully and now that I am a five days a week deputy head teacher in a school, suddenly it's not quite so easy to implement things, um, not because of anything to do with the school, just because of the day-to-day busyness that yeah. you know, senior leaders and teachers are under, and it's extremely difficult to get things through. So it's all right knowing it, but it's one thing, yeah. being able to, and it's another thing, being able to do it. Now, what I love about this chapter is, again, you've talked through, and if I, don't, if I may read, uh, Tom, just from this little section, so you've said that the walkthroughs might be self-explanatory on first reading, but the way ideas translate into improved practice is complex, so it's essential that teachers and leaders think hard about how to engineer professional learning processes that are effective and sustained. But the, the way that you've presented this, again, with the five-step walkthroughs uh, and, and the uh, Oliver's artwork as well, I can I definitely see this. Again, I said about it being a, a book that teachers can take around with them, but I can see this being something that the senior leadership team, you know, in, in, a, in a meeting, could all look yeah. through and think about, right, how can we go about implementing these ideas across the school? And it, and it references all the research on CPD and about how to design learning programs and instructional coaching really, really well. So um, I guess I'm coming right to a question. Do you think that this could be used in those kind of circumstances? Absolutely, and that's what we're really hoping. So, we, so Oliver and I have both um, had experiences doing training. We, you know, he's, we do it all the time, and, and that's basically our, our jobs. And he, we, we, we completely. So, one of the first things we discussed was we can't just produce a load of stuff unless we are also guiding people how to use it. So, and then to to, to, to echo the five steps, we just thought we'll keep it keep it going, and. Yeah, I mean, it's both of our experience that you can go to a school, t- t- uh, toss a load of ideas out in a, in a one-off CPD, but how does that translate into classroom practice? Well, it needs real thinking. So, so running CPD cycles is one of the discussions I have with leaders all the time. What do you do in the sessions? What happens between the sessions? Observing lessons is is, um, is really good. And one of the ideas that we've put in there is, is actually that Oliver wrote this one. Um, it comes from... Uh, Matt O'Leary's idea of unseen observation. So it's even got some nice ideas like two people gathering before the beginning of the day, talking through one of the walkthroughs. They both go into their lessons and do it on their own because they haven't got time to observe each other and come back at the end of the day and then just talk through how it went. And it's just a, it's a, it's a I love that idea. So sort of creating a reference, a framework for get student teachers talking about their, their teaching without sort of clunky over, overbearing observation freight cycles which can be very difficult to organize so it's, it's got this sort of variety of approaches and the, the key the key one i suppose is um the whole idea of instructional coaching it's sort of start we, we explain that in the the beginning and in the end and it really is this idea that 
that the experts who are sort of senior leaders or more experienced teachers can genuinely offer insights to teachers because they bring their expertise to the observation and discussion. Uh, but at the same time, it's the teacher themselves who has to go away and enact all that stuff. So, but it's not sort of the kind of loose kind of coaching, which is, you know, where you're just avoiding giving, giving input and just making the teacher decide for themselves. It's a bit more directed than that um, because that is the evidence around instructional coaching suggests that's useful. And the walkthroughs provide a sort of three-way communication idea that by looking at the walkthrough as a neutral definition of a bit of practice, you're not, you're not always critiquing the teacher and judging them, you're just discussing the ideas. And that, that to us is like all the way through. The whole point is that this book gives teacher and observer or, or mentor or coach uh, a common set of visuals and language to discuss the ideas at hand. Uh, and um, that, is, again, is, is an evidenced process that that can really support professional learning. So we, all, all of it, we're trying to weave the evidence in. And so we're referencing Vivian Robinson and uh, Philip accordingly and various other experts on professional learning, which, um, you know, we, we're hoping they, they you know, they, they, will, they would endorse what we're saying. Absolutely, they would. Absolutely. So just wrapping it up, Tom, into the next last couple of questions, if that's all right. So uh, yeah. as I've been banging on about, which feels like a, about a year or so now, um, Research at Blackpool, as we record this, is, is very, uh, very soon on the horizon. And by the time this comes out, um, it'll be merely yeah. a couple of days away. So we are thrilled, uh, Simon Cox and I are thrilled, that you are going to be launching the book at Research Ed Blackpool. So tell us a little bit about what you've got planned in terms of presentation there. Will there be some books coming along with you? And maybe some merchandise as well, Tom. <laughs> yeah. So Oliver and I will both be there, and we'll both be sporting our walk, walk through T-shirts that we are having fun making. We, we haven't decided, but we, we are building a website, and eventually people will be able to order these T-shirts for themselves, where, with a, where some of the, the proceeds will... We'll, we'll be going to charitable causes because we don't want to make tons of money out of T-shirts, but we they are cool to wear. They, we, <laughs> so we're making those. But we're going to do we, we're doing our own presentations that we would normally have done. Um, but because we're, we're launching this book, we're going to do a joint presentation where we explain Oliver's going to be talking about instructional coaching and the use of visuals for that, and they, and then I'm going to be sort of just showing a few examples of the walkthroughs and, and showing how. You know how they work, so that that will be what we're doing, and it actually is the very first opportunity anyone will have to get hold of the book because there's a bit of a delay between us being in Blackpool and then coming uh, out on Amazon. Or so people who are at Blackpool will be the very first people to get hold of the book, and then they will be the only people with the book for about ten days. <laughs> so um, that's uh, that's just we found that out today. There's going to be another gap. But that's okay because Blackpool is then sort of super special in terms of launching this book, and uh, we're really hoping that people will, you know, will, will take that chance to, to get hold of one. Well, exactly. Uh, Blackpool is super special. Yeah, we absolutely echo that. And and this yeah. book, <laughs> this book is super special. And I, I said to you uh, off air, and I said to you last night that, that genuinely this is an outstanding book. And you know, since I've been uh, fortunate enough to get a copy last week. Um, I've not put it down like I said it's all I've been able to do not to share it with other people and you know the teachers at school will testify to this because I've got a couple of teachers um, at my school who actually believe it or not I, mean, I don't know why they do but they do listen to this podcast I mean they're not like they don't see enough of me they do listen to this but they're very keen to get their hands on this so they're coming along to research at Blackpool they'll be able to get a physical copy there as well so you know, on behalf of me and Simon uh, thanks to you and Oliver for, for coming down it's really really appreciated um, will you be out and about speaking about the book anywhere else in the next few weeks and months? Uh, well, we're going to be talking about it at uh, the Wellington Festival when when that when that's on in June, and then we we've got a couple of dates in July where we'll be doing um, special events uh, where people can come to to that. And um, going into the autumn term, we're, we're going to be running what we call train the trainers uh, days, where um, we're. we're it would be possible for schools to send people to events where we will be training them how to use the walkthroughs in their school. So that's part of our whole kind of setup. Uh, we realise that we don't really have the capacity to personally to go into all the schools to train people. So we're going to do that as a central kind of part of the the whole um, system that we're we're trying to develop here. 
And, um, you know, so that will, people will get more information about that on the website when that goes live, uh, you know, in, in the next couple of months. Fantastic. Well, we'll put links to all of that um, on the podcast show notes. So um, just remains to say thank you so much, Tom, for uh, coming on again tonight to speak about this. If we can get you on a third time when the next one comes out, I'll have to do like a Neil as Natter match ball, one for the hat-trick of performances uh, on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. Oh, well, I, look, I, look, I look forward to that. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you very much. Not a problem at all. I look forward to seeing you at Research at Blackpool. Thank you. I look forward to being there. Thanks, Tom. Miller's Netter, just talking to teachers. Podcast Pedagogy. What is Phil reading this week? Podcast Pedagogy. Listening to teachers. Miller's Netter, just talking to teachers. My name is Bruce Robertson, and I am the author of The Teaching Delusion, Why Teaching in Our Schools Isn't Good Enough, and How We Can Make It Better, published by John Cat Educational. So what's this book about? Well, let me start by asking you a few questions. How good is the teaching in your classroom or school, really? Are you sure? How do you know? If you were asked to give it a score out of 10, what would you say? Why? Do you think it could be better? Do you know how to make it better? Are you sure? Not every teacher or school leader feels comfortable asking such questions, either of themselves or of others. They are challenging questions, there is no doubt about that. But they are also very important questions. Asking them is not only a brave thing to do, it is the right thing to do. If we accept that schools are about transforming lives through education, then I hope we can accept that the quality of our teaching matters, not just a bit, but a lot. As teachers, the quality of our teaching is the thing that can make the biggest difference to the lives of young people. It is also the thing which we have the most control over ourselves. Most of us can't control national policies or the background circumstances of students. However, if we are teachers, we can control what happens in our classrooms. If we are school leaders, we can control what happens in our departments and schools. If we are serious about transforming lives through education, then we need to be serious about making teaching the best that it can be. This means that we need to be serious about making it better, no matter how good it is already. It is incumbent upon everyone, no matter what role they have in a school, to play their part in helping to achieve this. If this is our mindset, then the questions I have posed are the sorts of questions that we need to be asking. It takes courage to answer them honestly. Some people might take offence to them even being asked. How dare you question the quality of my teaching? How dare you suggest my teaching might not be good enough? Do you not think I'm working hard enough already? But these questions aren't about criticism or finding fault. Suggesting that we should get better is not a negative thing. On the contrary, the better we get at something, the better the outcomes we achieve and the more we tend to enjoy what we do. Making our teaching better and better, regardless of how good it is already, will be of benefit to both the students we teach and to ourselves. A mindset of continuous improvement is an exciting and empowering mindset to have. That said, achieving continuous improvement is easier said than done. Adopting this mindset is one thing. Using it to bring about real improvement is quite another. So how can we do this? The key is to ensure that we are focusing on the right things in the right way. But what are the right things and what is the right way? Of all the questions posed so far, these are perhaps the most difficult to answer. A lot of teachers and school leaders think they know what the right things are, but really they don't. They think they know what the right way is, but really they don't. They think the teaching in their classroom or school is good enough, but really it isn't. Collectively, this leads to the teaching delusion. If you're interested in exploring these issues further, then The Teaching Delusion is probably a book for you. Thank you, Bruce. And Bruce will be a guest on an upcoming Nail as Natter in the next few weeks. So moving into film recommendations. And as I outlined at the beginning, uh, we're moving to more streaming services for our films and looking at classic films. So as recommended by Neil Reynolds, who is my head teacher, this is Coach Carter. So, uh, Coach Cast is a film that a lot of you may have watched already, um, and the reason I've gone back to it is that you know I'm very much of the belief that all of our teachers are role models, and role models is absolutely what Coach Carter is all about. So Samuel L. Jackson plays Ken Carter, who began as a sports star at Richmond High School, setting records that still stand, and then he had success in the military, and then as a small businessman. And he's asked to take over the basketball team as a basketball coach, as an unpaid volunteer. And it's an interesting scene where the old coach tells him that he cannot get um, the players to turn up for school. But coach Ken Carter thinks he can fix that. 
So Coach Carter wants to change the American public's interest in secondary education, being entirely focused as it is uh, at the time of filming of this on sports, whereas uh, classes are much, much less important. So the courts are much more important than teachers. The most inspiring parts of this film for me as a teacher is that Coach Carter changes a, a gym dominated by loud, arrogant, disrespectful student jocks, as they believe they call them in America, and commands their attention with the force of his attitude. Um, he, he requests the students, so he gets the students, or requires the students even, to sign a contract um, promising to maintain a decent grade point average uh, as the price of being on the team. And the best bit of this film, uh, without giving too much away for those that haven't seen it, is the locking of the gymnasium uh, scenes. So, you know, no more plot spoilers, but look at those scenes. And the end credits of the film show that six of the team went on to college and five with scholarships. So lives, not just games, are won over here. So if you're interested in that film, that's Coach Carter, and that's available on Netflix, and that's available everywhere. So into music recommendations. Uh, this week I'm looking at 16 Oceans by Four Tet. So um, during the second round of mock exam marking and with the current global situation, at times like this I'd like to turn to ambient electronic music. And I've discovered Four Tet's new album, 16 Oceans. Uh, the album nicely mixes radiant melodies and garage-inspired beats. So Kieran Hebden, the man behind 16 Oceans, is a little bit of an enigma, uh, avoiding standard promotion, so it's a little hard to find too much about him. There are some notable standout tracks on this album for me. So track two, which features uh, Ellie Golden, is a warm but melodic track um, with her vocal cut up and sampled really, really effectively. Teenage Bird Song is also a track that's been around for a little while, um, but in the mix of the album, it reaches new heights for me. So this album will undoubtedly smooth things for you whilst exam marking or just digesting current world events. So this is an oasis of calm in the current chaos. Um, and also the artwork by Jason Evans is also sublime. So check that out. Currently not available on vinyl, sadly, uh, through the usual outlets, but it is available for streaming on Apple Music and other streaming services. Okay, moving into shameless plugs, and obviously there are no events to promote at the moment, but I can mention podcasts that are coming up in the next few weeks. So I've got interviews in the can from Daisy Christodoulou, Martin Rea, and also got the welcome return, the very welcome return of Emma Turner in the host chair with Neil Gilbride. So there's those and many more. So it just remains to say thank you for listening, stay safe, look out for each other, and see you next time on Nailers Natter. Nailers Natter, just talking to teachers. Podcast pedagogy. What is Phil reading this week? Podcast pedagogy. Listening to teachers. Nailers Natter, just talking to teachers.